Bringing you everything under the Disney umbrella. Network 1901. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Lipstick and Lightsabers. I am Shannon. And I'm Alex. And today is going to be the first episode of our Makeup and Mandalore series. So yes, Mandalorian is over. So many people have already been covering this. But we really wanted to get into this. This is going to be a three-part series where we're going to talk about the history of Mandalore, what we've already seen, and then we're breaking the Mandalorian into two different sections. So in this episode, we're going to cover the Clone Wars, we're going to cover Rebels. It's uh, it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. We're going to try. Especially because we're two people who were never invested in Mandalore before. Yeah. But and- now we are. Like, now it's like, oh, now I want to learn all of these things. So we've been researching, but prior to this, like, I wouldn't say either of us knew much about Mandalore. Yeah, and, like, that's what's so amazing is, like, this culture is actually, like, very fascinating, and it has a very rich background in in legends, which we are not going to get into, Um, just a caveat for you right there. There's, like, what, 4,000 years worth of history within legends, so they've simplified it down for Disney canon, and that's what we're going to go for now. Um, But before we get into that, um, we do have some news and some things like that. So we got The Rise of Kylo Ren, issue number two. And I know a lot of people were really in their feels about this, um, especially since Tross is still so fresh for a lot of us. But The Rise of Kylo Ren is amazing. It's so good. I was really scared to read it. Remember when I went to buy it and then I just like put it on my table and looked at the cover and was like... (laughs) I guess I'll read this later. I read some fan fiction first before I got into it because I saw some people were really hesitant on Twitter about it um, because it's the first issue to come out after The Rise of Skywalker. And I love the comic and I understand why people are hesitant about it because they're kind of driving that knife even deeper into you. (laughs) Um... (laughs) But I love to see young Ben Solo dealing with the fallout of the Jedi Order and the fallout with his uncle. Um, It's so fascinating. And Snoke's fashion. Snoke's fashion. (laughs) He lives for fashion. He lives for fashion. To be honest, I think Palpatine was also... Um, giving him some Naboo fashion tips after he came out of the pickle jar. 100%. 100%. So I think it's very, very inspired by Naboo. And, (laughs) I mean, we know that Ben has roots in Naboo, too, so maybe he appreciated that. You think he appreciated the hat and the deep V? (laughs) (laughs) It's... I really love what Charles Soule is doing with this comic. And to me, this tells me that something went wrong with The Rise of Skywalker and this was not the way it was supposed to go. 
So unless something happens in, like, there's still two more issues of this comic to come out. So unless they change something to make it align with Tross, it kind of doesn't. Like, there are things about Snoke that are contradicted in The Rise of Skywalker. It's so weird. Uh, (laughs) Well, they even contradict themselves within the visual dictionary because they say that Kylo Ren burned down the temple and he, he doesn't. Um, he's blamed for it. It's really strange. Everyone. It's really, really strange. Yeah, it, it's very, very weird. And, um, and the the more I read, the more contradictions just appear out of nowhere, and the more crazy I go. <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> like, the more you get into it, the more you're just like, something happened. Something like... And, and they're at this, like, precipice where they can either fix everything to align with Tross, or they can retcon parts of Tross, and we're just gonna have to see where they go. And, like, on a similar vein, so I had actually mentioned this, and I'd totally forgotten this, how I was, I would be surprised if they didn't push back the novel, and then they did, so we're gonna be getting the novel a little bit late, and I don't know if that should make us happy or worried. I don't know. I'm so scared of this novel. Like, I wonder when, like, um, review copies will be sent out. Because it has to be, like, a little bit in advance of the release date, I would think. Um, So there's only time will tell, like, when that book drops. Will it get dropped? Will it get pushed back again? Probably not. Everything is happening, and it's just, it's bizarre. And, like, we've, it's been a month. Can you believe it? It has been a month today since, like, we're recording on the 19th. It's been a month. I feel like it's been 10 years. Okay, so this is weird. Okay, so my local, well, the big chain um, bookstore in Canada, Indigo, it says the release date is still December 20th, 2019 on the art book. Oh. But then when you look at how long it'll take to ship to you, it says ships within one to two months. Oh. So that's weird. That's very strange. Basically, Tross is just, it's just really dumb. And it's messing everything up. But we're here to tell you that we have some coping mechanisms for Tross. <laughs> we do. We do. Um, so for... This might be a recurring thing that we talk about. Uh, we'll kind of see how it goes. But basically, Alex and I have been consuming media that help us deal with draws. Um, And I think uh, this first one definitely fits into that. And that is High School Musical, the musical, the series. We've been talking about this for months, though. But yeah. Yes. The, yes. the series ended. The finale happened. It was amazing. <laughs> I screamed. <laughs> Because I, I watched it before you did, and I was like, oh, God. And so when you were watching it, I was just like, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no spoilers. We will not say anything. But you will not regret watching this show. And it's a better ending than Tross. So good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so good. So, so good. Um, another show that... Uh, I just finished it this morning because I am so irrationally invested in it. (laughs) It's spinning out on Netflix. This is a Netflix original. It's about figure skating and dealing with mental illness. And, like, the first couple of episodes, like, the first half of this season, (laughs) this series, is like a live action Blades Crossed, which is a figure skating AU. (laughs) Yeah. 
I started watching it, and I'm like, wait, I've read this before. <laughs> I read this book. <laughs> it's very dramatic. It's very soap opera-y. But I just, like, like, you did synchronized swimming, and I did color guard. Yeah. And I feel like when you're in that kind of, like, artsy sport type of thing. It's like, intense. It's intense. Coaches, like, it's so good. Coaches can be a little crazy. Yeah, it's so good. Girl, the last episode. I'm not caught up. so dramatic. I'm not I know. <laughs> it's so dramatic. Yeah, I'm on up. Ep- I finished episode three, so I'm way behind you. <sighs> Whew. Oh, yeah. See, I was supposed to be watching it with my mom, and then I was like, hi, I need to watch more of the show. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very good. It definitely has a good enemies to lovership in it, uh, if that's your Raylo jam. So yeah. highly recommend that. It's very interesting. And. There's another show we both watched that I would recommend to you. Oh. Do you know which one it is? Uh, I have a feeling. The Witcher? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, The Witcher. <laughs> you went on a journey with The I Witcher. I super went on a journey with The with the Witcher. I was not enjoying it until I realized that it was, like, the best show I'd, I'd ever seen. <laughs> um, it was, like, a switch that just, like, flipped. And when I realized that it was so wacky and crazy and, like, live-action Shrek was when I loved it. <laughs> yes. And, like, I, I waited for you to finish it because, like, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to watch it. I had seen kind of mixed things about it. And, like, I'm really glad I went in with all of the things that you told me, that, like, it's wacky and, like, it knows that it's dumb uh, and, like, all that kind of stuff because I feel like that helped me enjoy it more. Yeah. I would say it's like Star Wars, like, with how it's dumb, but then it can also be really yeah, deep. Yeah, <laughs> and, and the characters are really good. Like, yes. Um, I got so attached to, to all three of the main characters, I would say. Yes, and Yeskir. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching um, <laughs> Geralt and Yeskir. Fan vids. <laughs> yeah, the fan vids are really good. The, one, the Jonas Brother one you sent me. Yeah. <laughs> and I will also say um, something else that has really helped when I was watching it is uh, Kate Corain on Twitter has this amazing thread where she is like dissecting every episode and it's amazing and hilarious and really helped me when I was first watching it because I was able to like keep the character straight, keep the timeline straight, kind of like what's going on. I think so far she's like done to episode four. Uh, so it's really awesome, and you should definitely read some of that if you haven't watched The Witcher yet. <laughs> so before we move in to our big topic for this week, uh, we do want to talk about uh, some of the stuff that we guys so much for sending us messages, uh, for helping us out with our last episode. You guys really made that Saving What We Love episode exactly what it was supposed to be, so thank you so much mm-hmm. for all of that support. And also, we left... One one thing out, uh, and we wanted to talk about Miss This Band. Yeah, I, I was so embarrassed after we um, finished recording, and I was like, oh my god, we, we missed, <laughs> missed this. How could we? I know, we basically have, like, all of their music on our Raylo playlist. Mm-hmm. Every time they release something new, I'm like, all right, I'm adding that. Thank you. <laughs> they just put out a new song about Rose yeah, as well, I don't think that's which is um, so good. recorded yet, but they have a video mm-hmm. of them playing it. And it's really, really yeah. good. They're really, really good. I love their music so much, and I can't wait to see what else is going to be coming for them. Okay, so I think we're ready to uh, dive deep into some Mandalorian culture. Are you excited? 
<laughs> very, very excited. <laughs> All right. So we want to thank um, John and Marie for putting together this amazing list of if you want to know more about Mandalore, you should watch these episodes of The Clone Wars and these episodes of Rebels to get that background information. And I think what's interesting about those is that it's so tied up in like Darth Maul yeah. as well. So if like if you also are interested in Darth Maul and you want to know where that's going, mm-hmm. like his arc is very important to what happens yeah. to Mandalore. And it's it's interesting to see this kind of like tie between Mandalore and Dathomir within mm-hmm. the Clone Wars and, and Rebels that I never really thought about before because of him. And he's like mm-hmm. the tie between them. And, like, Dathomir is another planet and kind of culture that I think we could totally go into also. Oh, 100%. That, that is such an amazing, like, it's so complex, <laughs> like, all of the Dathomir stuff. And another thing that's interesting is, you know, like, Dathomir is very mystical. Like, that's where you have, like, the witches and the night sisters, yeah. And, you know, that's where Darth Maul came from. But as far as Mandalore goes... They are very much like a warrior yeah. people. They're so and they are I was gonna say they're so grounded in reality. Yes. Where Dathomir is completely the opposite. Yes, a hundred percent. And like they're at odds with the Jedi. They don't really seem to like understand or really like they're not really associated with like the force and the mystical sides of Star Wars, and yet they always get forced together. Mm-hmm. Which is something that you noticed um, just the other night. You were talking about the relationships that you noticed between those, yeah. uh, the mystic and the grounded. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I think it's fair to say spoilers for Clone Wars, Rebels, Mandalorian right now before yes. we get into this. So yeah, so I noticed that there's this common relationship thing going on between Mandalorians and Force users, specifically Jedi. So first, in the Clone Wars, you pointed this one out, um, we see Obi-Wan and Satine. Now, Satine's not necessarily um, your stereotypical Mandalorian, like like we see going down the list of the other relationships we're going to explore, but she is Mandalorian, and there's always been this tension between Jedi and Mandalorian. And then in Rebels, we see it between Sabine and Ezra, but they're... Um, a sister-brother relationship, or at least we read it as that, because we know that, like, there's there's Sabreza, the Sabre, how do you say it? Sabezra? Sabezra, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Sabezra shippers, and, like, that's totally cool to read it like that, too. Well, even even then, like, there's still also that connection with, like, her and Kanan, which is still that familial. And and that's more a father-daughter thing. Mm -hmm. And with Clone Wars, it was a romantic thing. And then we get into The Mandalorian, and it's a father-son thing because Baby Yoda, we don't know if he's necessarily a Jedi or um, even, like, do we even know if he's a light force user? We don't. We just know that he he's is just a force, a force user. user. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is a little bit more mysterious, like, what side of the force he is, um, what he's affiliated with. But it is very interesting. Yeah, and on top of that, you know, we you also get Darth Maul, who's obviously a dark sider, and he has a very interesting re- relationship with Mandalore as a whole. 
And so to kind of like give some background on like what Mandalore is. So it's a planet in the Outer Rim territories. And the Mandalorians are a fearsome warmongering people. And they've fought with the Jedi. They fight with each other. There's just always some kind of tension going on. And in fact, because Mandalore is so often always at civil war within like their clans and their houses, they have completely destroyed their planet to where now it's a desert and the only like habitable regions are underneath these domed cities. They're very isolated within each other. Yeah. And that's, that's a really reoccurring theme through all the Mandalore stories we've seen so far. Yeah, I think it's really interesting how, like... So we had to, like, look this up because the difference between clan and houses kind of gets interchanged a little bit as it's It gets going. a little bit blurry just because yes. of the way they're treating it in Clone Wars and then Rebels. Yeah, they... they were kind of saying it a little bit differently. Yeah, they, like, switch it when they get to Rebels. But I looked it up on Wikipedia, and they define it as, in Mandalore culture, families are referred to as clans, and then each clan will work under a particular house or a political faction. So with Rebels, we have Satine... Or, not Satine. With Rebels, we have Sabine. She is under Clan Wren. That is her family name. But then they fall under House Vizsla. So that's how they use it within that. And I think it's so interesting that these clans will be united under specific houses, but then they so often will still fight with each other because they're still yeah. isolated and they're still kind of stuck in their own family mindset. And it's like, it's like because they're separating themselves, it's causing more conflict. Yes, it, it's like this never-ending yeah. cycle. And that is why when we get into the Clone Wars, before the Clone Wars happened, they were just coming out of this time on Mandalore where they were just ravaged by civil war. It was so bad. The death toll was so high. That is when Obi-Wan meets Satine for the first time. And after all that's over, Satine emerges as Duchess. And she aligns herself with a political way of thinking known as the New Mandalorians, where they kind of shun their warmongering ways and they want to be more peaceful, more pacifist. That is kind of the Mandalore mm -hmm. that she is helming. That's the Mandalore you see in the Clone Wars. But not everybody thinks this way. And that's where you get yeah. this terrorist group called the Death Watch. And they were all exiled away. And obviously, that doesn't go very well. <laughs> so... One thing that, like, unifies, like, most Mandalorians is their armor, right? Like, that's how an everyday person who's not even a big Star Wars fan kind of, like, identifies them. It's like, you oh, recognize like, that helmet. Yeah, you recognize the helmet right away. Now, so this armor, it's made of Beskar steel, which is, it's durable against blaster fire and lightsaber strikes. So it's, like, really, really durable and, like, basically, this armor is impenetrable. Um, and the really interesting thing is, is this armor, this Baskar steel, is so old. It's, like, 500 years old, and it gets reforged for new Mandalorians. So, within your armor, there's generations worth of Mandalore on you. There's, like, blood, sweat, and tears from Mandalore, like, 500 years ago. And you have to live with that burden also. And it's it's so interesting. Yeah, it, it's really fascinating because, you know, we'll get into it when we talk about Rebels. But 
it is, there's a question brought up of, you know, like, why can't you just make your armor out of something else? Or why can't you just reforge or blah, blah, blah. But like, it's so important that your Beskar and your armor has been passed down. Like even uh, Sabine says that all of the battles and the history and the blood lives within your armor. And your armor is your identity. Like it makes you a Mandalorian. And I think it's Sabine as well who says that a a Mandalorian without armor is no different from a common soldier. Like that's what gives you your identity. Mm Mm-hmm. Their identity is so wrapped up in the past. Yes, it's very wrapped and, up in the past. And that's why I think with the Mandalorians, we see them making the same mistakes over and over again. Yes, and I, I think that's another reason why, like, just switching to suddenly being very peaceful and giving up their warrior way is like, of course, that was not going to go over as smoothly as they wanted it to go. And these are a very stubborn people, whether you are for peace or for war. So it it is not surprising to me that it didn't work. I think another thing that's interesting, and you see this in the Mandalorian show, you know, it's very important that Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, he never shows his face. He doesn't take off his helmet. Like that's a big plot point in the show. But as far as like Clone Wars and Rebels go, that is not seen. Uh, We see basically every notable Mandalorian's face. They always take their helmets off. Yeah. So I wonder if maybe that was like an ancient practice. And Mm -hmm. after the Great Purge, we still don't really know what that is. Maybe that started to come back. Like you started to see kind of this resurgence of the old ways. Yeah. I mean, if they, like we said, it's kind of history repeating itself. If they feel like they made a huge mistake that caused the purge that they assumed was because of the way Mandalore has developed, it would make sense to me that they would be like, okay, well, let's go to the old, old ways when things were a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, and I definitely think the, the things that happened to Mandalore, it it's so devastating because they are so proud and they are so honorable and they are so stubborn and yet they are manipulated and are controlled by fear and that's Mm -hmm. how the empire gets them and basically you know takes them down and that's so devastating and you can definitely see how like the survivors would be like something went wrong and we have to go all the way back in order to rebuild yeah, we have to go back to our roots and, like, find who we were once, mm-hmm. basically, rather than move on and become new. They they are really just rehashing and reusing old ideas rather than reforging themselves. Yes, yes. Even even Sabine, because she, she talks about how, like, she has made it her own and she has made her own identity, but it is very much built on the ways Mm -hmm. of the past. It is built on the past. Mandalore is very... It's a very symbolic kind of way of life. Uh, You see that with the armor. Um, They believe very heavily in symbols. One of the biggest ones is the (laughs) Darksaber, which we'll get into. Uh, But also within their art. Like, Sabine is an artist. Her father, she says, fights with his art. Uh, There are statues. There are... Um, these murals that depict their past. Like, yeah. they are very much 
Like, even though they have this, like, brutal warrior, like, way of life, they're also very artistic and expressive. Well, it kind of reminds me of Alderaan in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, Alderaan, we find out in, in the Leia book, I believe that's where we find out, is that every... Oh, no, it's Naboo. Oh, Wait. you're right. It's Queen Shadow. Yeah. So in so in the book um, Queen Shadow with Naboo, we find out that all the kids there are really encouraged to take up like a skill and especially like artistic skills. So I think Padme she did poetry. Yes. Yeah. So it sounds to me like Mandalore's really cultivating youth like that too, which is really fascinating because you wouldn't expect to see that in a more like. I guess you could say, like, masculine-coded. Like, they are very about, like, brutality and strength and all of Mm -hmm. that. So it's very fascinating that, uh, like, to balance it, they still nurture that artistic side as well. Like, that's what really struck me about Sabine's family. Like, her mother is, like, in charge. Like, her mother is, like, the leader of their clan. She is this, like, one, like, crazy warrior woman but then her father is an artist and like that's how he fights he fights with his art and i love seeing that balance it it reminded me of um inferno squad with yeah. um Aiden's parents yeah and and the other thing is i think finding that balance is so important for them yes and i think that when they are in balance is when they thrive and i think that we're seeing that in 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 the Mandalorian timeline, in Din's timeline with Baby Yoda, we're seeing that balance off. Yeah, I, I think you see him be his best self when he is the warrior, but then he's also the caregiver. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that balance of the roles there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think... You know, in they're in hiding in the Mandalorian. Like the Mandalorians have completely gone into hiding, and the Mandalore culture is so proud, and it is so like in your face, and it's so like everywhere. Yeah, it's kind of devastating that they've been forced into secrecy, and like they're yeah. not seen anymore. And you could also say that the only one practicing creativity is the armorer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and would say she's that. the only female Mandalorian that we see. Yeah. It, it is this amazing mixture of the feminine and the masculine sides kind of mm-hmm. working their way together. So there are a couple of notable Mandalorians within the Clone Wars and Rebels arcs. Um, obviously, we have um, Jango and Boba Fett. They aren't really like a thing that we're going to talk about, but they were obviously instrumental with the clones and their armor and all of that. Yeah. So, like, they're not actually Mandalorians. They wear Mandalorian armor and they're bounty hunters, lone wolves, like Din. I mean, Din is a Mandalorian. He was adopted into Mandalore, into the culture. Um, But I don't think we can say the same thing about uh, Jango. We don't actually know, like, like, if the whole foundling thing went way back there. Yeah. But I don't believe he was. I, I guess they could retcon then if they wanted to. Yeah, I, I think... Because there was even something that I found about um, Satine, who's the Duchess of Mandalore, mm-hmm. about how she wasn't born 
on Mandalore, but then I only found it in like one place and then it kind of disappeared and then Is they, it Legends? I'm not it might have been uh cuz they say later, you know, they won't accept a ruler of Mandalore who is not Mandalorian, and I wonder if maybe instead of saying that it has to do with like bloodlines, they mean it has to do with like their way of life. Mhm. That's weird. So then that would make um, Bogotan not born there either? Yeah, but there, I, I mean, I would argue that Satine and Bogotan are kind of the representation of the unbalance of Mandalore, which is mm-hmm. really interesting. Like, they're very steeped in the culture. So yeah. it's, it's interesting. And, you know, we hear in The Mandalorian that it's not a people, it's a creed. So I wonder if. You know, if you are a Mandalorian, you are inducted into it, then it doesn't really matter who you are or who you were before. But it's interesting, too, that there's kind of a mystery to it because Grief didn't know that. Yeah. Kara did. She was aware, but Grief didn't. So there is still a bit of mystery to what the Mandalorians are. Yeah, 100%. That even goes back into, so another notable Mandalorian is uh, Ter Vizsla. He was the first Mandalorian ever to become a Jedi um, during High Republic time. And there's not a whole lot known about him other than that he is the one who creates the Darksaber. It's one of a kind. It's a black lightsaber. And when he dies and when the Old Republic falls, uh, the Vizsla house uh there's a raid on the Jedi temple and they take that saber back and it becomes the symbol for house Vizsla and for the rulers of Mandalore. It's really a symbol for the unity of Mandalore Mm -hmm. really like unifying them. And it's interesting because like thinking about a Mandalorian becoming a Jedi is weird. Yeah. Because their ideals don't really line up. (laughs) No, they do not at all. At all. So it like really like begs the question, like what kind of Jedi was this guy? Well, and the fact that his is a black lightsaber is yeah. really fa- like there's not there's no other saber like the dark saber. Mm-hmm. So, but it's so like here's the thing: it's so so long ago that we don't know what the Jedi were really like back then no, either. We don't. We have no idea what they were like. It's. It's really fascinating to me that the Mandalorian culture and the Jedi culture is so different, and yet the symbol that unites Mandalore is a lightsaber. But I think that that lightsaber is so different that it allows them to take ownership over the symbol of it because it is so different looking. Do you think that maybe it's like Sabine's armor and that, yes, it is, you know, built on, like, these past traditions, but... They made it like, their own. Yeah, it's their own, and and it moves a lot differently. It moves um, slower, but I mean, not slower in a way where like the blade is moving slower. But there's this like energy that lags behind the blade mm-hmm. that is just like it's so smooth and like it real really makes it look like that. There's a lot of um, purpose to the way it moves. Yeah, it even sounds different than, like, a yeah. normal lightsaber. Like, it doesn't make, you know, like, the vroom vroom sounds. It's mm-hmm. very, like, mystical sounding. And it looks like a knife. It looks much more like a knife cutting through the air than a beam mm-hmm. of light. 
So the next two notable Mandalorians are Satine Kreese and Bo-Katan Kreese. And I have so many questions about these two ladies because (laughs) Satine was the Duchess of Mandalore uh, during the Clone Wars and her sister Bo-Katan is part of the Death Watch, which is a terrorist organization that tries to take down Satine. It's insane. It's insane. Like, how did this happen? These sisters are on separate sides. Yeah, exactly. So I guess- I mean, we know sibling rivalry happens. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is, like, to the next level. This is, It's totally to the next level. So I, I guess we kind of have to talk about, like, why this happened. So, mm-hmm. like we said, uh, the new Mandalorian regime came out of a time of brutal civil war. So many people died, including Satine's father. And Satine made her regime to be pacifist. She believes there is always a peaceful solution. And she does bring a great age of peace for Mandalore. I could... I would definitely say that Mandalore during the Clone Wars, like, yes, there is a lot of corruption, but you can see that their people are flourishing, at least until the New Republic starts to kind of get their hooks in there. But Death Watch was created because they believe in the old ways of Mandalore. They didn't want their warrior ways to die. And that's what her sister Bo-Katan becomes a part of. How did it happen? Yeah, what happened? And they, they clearly don't hate each other either. No, and I so badly want to see this split happen. Yeah, I want. I want. Does it happen in an Obi Wan Satine book? Yes, yes, it would be in an Obi Wan Satine book. (laughs) Please, yeah, (laughs) Claudia Gray. Well, and and I wonder if maybe that had to do with it as well because the Mandalorians and the Jedi never get along. And yeah. yet, Satine falls in love with Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan is kind of like the poster child for Jedi. Yes. And they really stand for doing what they think is right in political situations, like kind of st- staying out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that bites them in the butt a lot, but... <laughs> Um, I think that Obi-Wan really rubbed off on her. Mm-hmm. I think so as and well. Another really interesting thing is later on when we get into Rebels, Sabine, as a teenager, she develops this weapon that is able to penetrate through uh, Beskar steel, and she calls it the Duchess after Satine. Yeah. Yeah, what is that about? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Sabine says, like, you know, like, it was it was a mistake. Like, like the, I had a lot of bad decisions, I think she says. Yeah. Um, but it's, like... There's a lot Satine, of resentment in that. Mm-hmm. When Satine died, like, people like Sabine, who, like, wasn't alive during her time, like, how, how, how was history taught to them in schools about Satine? Like, that's my question. Which like I I think we see a little bit of the beginning of in Clone Wars even. It's just oh god, it's so devastating. <laughs> I hope you guys are ready for some devastation because it's coming. <laughs> in in season seven of Clone Wars, oh god, in the Siege of Mandalore, oh god, it's gonna be really hard to watch, and it's coming out so soon. Yeah, I wonder if um, because they posted a date and then took it down. Mm-hmm. It was, like, February... 
14th? Was it Valentine's Day or the week after? (laughs) Um, It was, yeah, it was like mid-February. They had a date for the new season and then it got taken down. But it was announced on like Oh My Disney, which is like a section of the the official Disney website, which is weird. Um, But I don't know. Are they going to release it one episode at a time like Mandalorian, you think? I think it would make sense. I think they've been doing that with all of their Disney Plus shows. Yeah. Man, I hope it's one episode a week. I don't know if I can binge watch. Yeah. Like the Mandalorian, like you want it to sit. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so those are the notable Mandalorians for the Clone Wars. Now to kind of get into some notable Mandalorians for Rebels, which we've already talked a little bit about. Um, The first one is Sabine Wren, who is one of the main characters of rebels she is house Vizla clan Bren and I think I can speak for both of us when I say that Sabine is so fascinating and inspirational within this show yeah she's a really good lens um for the Mandalorian culture Mm -hmm. because she is a Mandalorian yet she is very um critical of her culture Yeah, for sure. And I think, like, you know, Rebels is based, like, is told through the lens of, like, a family. And so she is, like, the the daughter. She's, like, the young, she's, like, the young girl. She's the older sister. And I think seeing her at that point in her life and seeing her deal with the mistakes that she makes and owning up to them and how she defines herself and defines her identity is an amazing journey that I don't think Star Wars had really explored until Sabine. As you're watching Rebels, you really get a sense for like, oh, this girl has had trauma. This girl has had this history with her family and with her culture and something went terribly wrong. And I'm so glad that um, Dave Filoni and the team like really dove into that into in season three. And we really got that story because it was like they kept dropping little hints about it Mm -hmm. and and they picked up the whole thread really nicely. The way that she grows as a person and as a character is beautiful to see. And Mm -hmm. there is definitely more story for her to tell. Um, I'm definitely on that train of I want her to go find Ezra. (laughs) Yeah. And I was going to say that her journey, so she leaves and I see a lot of similarities with Ben Solo, to be honest. Mm -hmm. She leaves and she's like scared I think somewhat of like what her family would think about her now. And and she comes back and she's able to like reconcile with her family and with the Mandalorians, like like her place in all of this, and yet she still chooses to move on by Vend of Rebels that like this isn't necessarily where she fits in, but there's more respect, there's more closure there. And I don't think we get that with Ben Solo. No. no. <laughs> and it would have been really nice to get that with uh, him. Yeah, she <laughs> she is so afraid to go home. She's so afraid to go home. Yeah. And like she finally does and she gets that closure, but that is not her place. She's made a family with the ghost crew. So like she she reconnects with her mother and she reconnects with her family, but like her family now where she feels at home is with the ghost crew. 
And I think mm-hmm. that is so mature. And that's such an amazing story to tell. And it's such a shame that we don't get that with the sequel trilogy. And it's so weird because I've I've heard people say this already pointed out, but Ray kind of gets the character um, development that Ben should have got. Yeah. And like, so Ray kind of gets that where she finally finds her family and it's Palpatine. And then it's like, Oh, like, well, no, I, I, I'm going to go back with my friends. But, like, but see, they, like, <laughs> like, with Sabine, like, she doesn't reject it. She no. she owns up to it. Then she finds the closure. Oh, yeah, there. Ray totally rejects yeah, it. Yeah, Ray totally rejects it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no um, growth. There's no growth there. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. Yeah. So much salt for the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> uh, these last three notables, I think we can kind of group in together. So we have Ursa Wren, who is Sabine's mother, uh, Finn Rao, who is a member of the Protectors, and Gar Saxon, who kind of becomes uh, the villain for the Mandalorian arcs in the Rebels. Mm-hmm. And the way that they all kind of connect, I think, is very interesting because like they are kind of like the old ways whereas Sabine yeah. is moving towards the future and she's a new way it's super infighting because they're um Ursa and Gar are both house Vizsla mm-hmm. you would think that being within one house it, it means that like oh you guys represent the same values and the same the same ways but there's, they're just like there's so much conflict. There's so much, con- there's so much conflict when it comes to, like, who do you, who are you loyal to? What does that mean for you? What does it mean when your loyalties change? Like, yeah, oh, it's and like, so good. What's the point of the houses if there's just no trust? That's true. That's very true. Like, why are you technically all part of one house if you don't trust each other? And I think that's a big thing with. Mandalore culture, because even though they are so loyal and they are so proud, they do not trust easily. And you see that in in a Mandalorian with um, the heavy infantry Mandalorian mm-hmm. and uh, Dan. Like they're t- together within the same like um, tribe tribe, mm-hmm. but there's so much conflict and like distrust. And it's just, it's, it's insane. And, and I think that until somehow that trust is finally like there, there's never going to be any, any way to unify them. No. Yeah. And and that's what's so devastating because at the end of Rebels, like you feel like that's what's happening. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, Bo-Katan like unified the Mandalorians this is so great like here we go here we go and then we get to the Mandalorian Uh, yeah with the context of Rebels seeing the Darksaber in the Mandalorian is heartbreaking (laughs) it's a lot it's like what happened yeah what happened like what do you think happened I don't know are we gonna find out the, I'm sure we have to. We have to. There's got to be, like, flashbacks. Think, well, so you know how in the first season of The Mandalorian, they had this, like, storytelling device where Din would get these flashbacks. And you would see them um, throughout the season, in not every episode, but in a lot of episodes, when he was seeing The Mandalorian, each time you would get a little bit more information. Mm-hmm. 
You just get a little bit more, another breadcrumb every time he had one of those flashback sequences. Until the very end, when you see the entire flashback all together, it's like he's finally accepting that, like, memory. Mm -hmm. And you get to see it because it is, like, so detrimental to where his arc is going at that time. And I wonder if they're going to do that again in season two, but it's going to be the purge. I feel like that would make a lot of sense. If it yeah. is. And I also feel like if so like if some of these characters aren't dead, they could potentially come back. And that would be like mm-hmm. a source of tension for him having to deal with this again. Yeah. Because it, it is revealed in The Mandalorian that technically Din Jaren is part of House Vizsla. He was saved by yeah. Death Watch. Death Watch, yeah. So he like did he know he would have known Bo Katan. Like, yeah. he would have. Like, so what happened to her? Where did she go? <laughs> Is she dead? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, are we going to have to watch her death in a flashback? Um, I don't know. And, like, and then the other thing a lot of people I've seen point out, like, how perfect it would be to have Katie Sackhoff actually play oh, live action Bogotan. And I don't know if you saw her post... Did you see what she said? No. She said something recently about how today was, like, one of the best days in her acting career. Oh. And we know that they are filming The Mandalorian I would two. die. <laughs> it could be nothing to do with it, Shannon. Like, it could be nothing. I would <laughs> die. <laughs> and I think she's, like... Like, the way she looks, she she moved perfect. Oh, God. I mean, she's the voice, too, so... Oh, oh man. <laughs> Could you imagine? Death. Death is coming. Death is coming. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, that tweet could be nothing. It could or... totally be nothing. Like, I'm so... Like, yeah. our clown makeup is tattooed onto our face at this point. So... Um, but it's exciting. The potential. Um, I mean, we see in The Rise of Skywalker, regardless of how you feel about it, they bring in a lot of characters from other canon so like bringing it into mandalorian is likely yeah and especially someone like bokaton i like totally can believe that happening there's no way to tell about what happened to mandalore without talking about bokatan mm-hmm. it's just the question of if we'll actually see her that's true yeah because if, if they don't actually if they want to leave it like ambiguous because maybe they would do like books or comics or something like that's definitely a direction that they yeah. could go in so we'll just have to see um i just want i need a i need a book i need to know <laughs> about her choices i just want books like hey del rey when are the mandalorian tie-in books gonna start coming out yeah for real because no announcements yeah nothing well, I think it's a big part is that Mandalorian has a lot of secrets. Yeah. There's so many secrets with Mandalorian right now. Yeah, but even, like, Cara Dune. Give me a Cara oh, book. Oh, man. Yeah, she's, she's <laughs> from Alderaan. Exactly. Oh, jeez. Okay. Like, even... <laughs> Like, there's so much that they could do. They could, like... Not that, like, I'm super invested in, like, the Bounty Hunters Guild, but, like... Underworld, Grief Cargo, like, there's so much outside of just... If they don't want to touch Mandalore because it's, like, super mysterious and they, they want to leave it all to the show, there's still so much that they could just take from yeah. 
like or Moff Gideon, like what's up with yeah, that who, dude? Who is he? How did he rise? Like, oh, man, there's a lot. And how, like, yeah, I guess we'll get into Moff Gideon stuff on our last episode of this series because I think that that'll tie in really well to the last couple episodes. <laughs> but I have things to say about him. Yeah, 100%. So now we're going to go into the actual episodes of the shows. So we're doing this chronologically. Um, we're going to start with the Clone Wars of Mandalore plot. So this is an arc of three episodes featuring episodes 12, 13, and 14 from season two. These episodes, so this this arc, three episodes, the taglines are for the Mandalorian plot, if you ignore the past, you jeopardize the future. Then the next episode, Voyage of Temptation, fear not for the future, weep not for the past. Then the last episode, Duchess of Mandalore, in war, truth is the first casualty. Yes. Okay, a lot about the past. Yes. So <laughs> so what's happening in these episodes? This is when we're introduced to Duchess Satine. And basically what's going on is her. there, there are corrupt parties. The Death Watch is starting to, like, gain some traction. And Mandalore, especially, especially Satine, wants to stay neutral. They do not want the Republic's help. They do not believe that the Separatists are part of this at all, which the Death Watch is kind of working with the Separatists, but they want to stay neutral. And of course, Papa Palps is going to make this as difficult as possible. Because he's the Phantom Menace. Yes, he's playing both sides of the war. And with this, we get the reunion of Satine and Obi-Wan. They're soft. They're so <laughs> soft. I am a huge uh, Obi-Teen shipper. I love this ship so, so much. Mm-hmm. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> um, so with these episodes, we get to learn more about how the Duchess um, has been reigning in this era of peace. So she's now saying that no Mandalorian would engage in violence, not anymore, because they mm-hmm. have exiled all of their warriors. And you see that they're really trying to put the past behind them. Like she says that the Mandalores um, are putting the past behind them. Like they are not that anymore. And I think their yeah. problem is that they are, instead of dealing with these tensions and dealing with the strife that is clearly still going. And like they thought that all of their warriors died out when they sent them into exile and clearly they didn't. So they're just ignoring their past yeah, and in the opening of this episode, you come in and you're like, wow, this place is, like, super utopian and perfect. Mm-hmm. How long is this going to last? Yeah, <laughs> they're sweeping a lot of things under the rug. Because that's that's what we get into with, like, the next round of episodes. You know, there's so much corruption that they're still kind of ignoring. Like, I love Satine, but she's very stubborn and she will not... Oh, yeah. She, like, she will not believe that things are going on, people are trying to undermine her rule, and that's how the Death Watch kind of gets in, because if they can undermine her rule, if they can make it look like she's not reliable, they'll be seen as liberators, and they can turn Mandalore back into that warrior culture. Yeah, there's a lot of um, behind-the-scenes, just, like, tricky stuff going on, where they're, like, really pulling strings to make things fall like onto into their lap basically yes exactly exactly 
So the next arc for this is in season three. It's episodes three, six, and ten, and then one from episode four, or one from season four, which is episode 14. And with this, that's where you see all of the corruption going in, and you see that it's even... They're trying to root this corruption out even with their youth, and basically everyone is taking advantage of Satine, I feel like. And the the taglines for these episodes are, the challenge of hope is to overcome corruption. Those who enforce the law must obey the law, and fear is, uh, fear is a great motivator, and um, friendship shows who we really are. So I think that really, like solidifies how these episodes kind of play out. Yes. Uh, and fear is a great motivator. That is from the episode Heroes on Both Sides, which there are people who have not seen this, um, and it shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a really great episode. And like we talked about, fear is a great motivator. That is how the Empire, that's how Palpatine, that's how anybody who wants to underman- undermine Mandalore gets to them. They rule them through fear. And like these are supposed to be fearless warriors. But they are ruled by fear. Mm-hmm. And that's how they fall in line. Oof. Yeah. It's a lot. It's devastating. <laughs> and it's like you see it in the Mandalorian, too. Like, why do you think the tribe isn't hiding? Yeah, because they're scared. They're so scared. Like, they even talk about how, like, they only go up to the surface, like, one at a time. Because they don't want to reveal their numbers. Like, they're so terrified. And, like, th- these were a people who were crusaders. These were a warrior people and now they are in hiding and they are terrified of what's going to happen when people find them. I read a book, well, it's not really like a series, but there's an author called, uh, her name's Ruta Sepetis, and she writes about the um, Latvian and Lithuanian people during World War II. This is a society, this is a culture that is still in hiding to this day, they didn't really have any good side to turn to. Um, there were no allies, really, for them. And they are still so scared that if they reveal themselves, uh, people are still going to come after them. And I really feel that with the Mandalorians in the Mandalorian timeline. And we see in these episodes that even though Satine fights really hard and she roots out corruption and she thinks she's doing the right thing and they maintain their neutrality there are still corruption still exists and it's coming at them from all sides yeah but i think that's if she had better prepared her and her nation for what was going on on the moon yeah (laughs) that wouldn't have blindsided her yes i i think their their problem in the Clone Wars is that they ignored the people who didn't think like them anymore. Yeah. Like, and <laughs> oh, man, it's like if her and, like, pre It's like fandom. Yeah. If her and pre could have, like, sat down and, like, discussed their problems, things would have been fine, except both of yeah. them are so unbelievably stubborn, so of course that didn't happen. You see that in fandom a lot. We, yep. These days. We <laughs> certainly do. Uh, there is also um, a quick arc in season three, mostly just talking about how Darth Maul comes back. We don't really need to go into that mm-hmm. too much, uh, but basically what you need to know is that Maul is hashtag not dead. He has 
spider legs briefly, goes mad briefly. Um, <laughs> but he rises back up to power and he creates the Shadow Collective, which is a group of underworld people. He wants to rule his own underworld and he is later found by Death Watch when you get into season five of Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. When is Maul not rising up? Maul is always rising and he's always plotting revenge. <laughs> Like, who's, like, the true riser of the Star Wars universe? It's small. It's small. I'm surprised <laughs> that in Tross, um, you know, when Ben Solo climbs out of the pit, like, it wasn't actually Darth Maul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have made so much sense. Oh, man. Um, but the- maybe he was, maybe he was, like, talking to him in the pit, like, giving him a pep talk. I mean, I would think so. He's like, look, man, I got chopped in half, and I still came back. Like, <laughs> you have a broken back? It's nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> With some spider legs? Oh, man. <laughs> but this last arc of the Clone Wars, um, it's in season five. It's episodes 14, 15, and 16. Uh, and in this, this is when you see... Uh, Duchess Satine fall, you see the rise of Death Watch, you see Darth Maul come in and take over Mandalore, which is very, very fascinating. Yeah, and quickly, Death Watch realizes they cannot trust Maul whatsoever. Yes, yes. Uh, So the taglines for this uh, arc are, one vision can have many interpretations, alliances can stall true intentions, and morality separates heroes from villains. And I really think that last one that yeah is about because ooh. it's about Death Watch. It's I think it's really about like like no like both Satine and Bo-Katan have morals even though that they're on separate sides. Yes, because what we see in this arc is you know Death Watch finds Darth Maul and Darth Maul is like hey. I can help you take back Mandalore, and I clearly don't have any other motives for doing so. Uh, (laughs) Because Darth Darth Maul wants to put a puppet ruler on the throne of Mandalore because Mandalore controls, like, over 2,000 neutral systems. So if he's in charge of Mandalore, but in the shadows, because he doesn't want, like, you know, Sidious to know that he's back and all of this, then he Mm -hmm. is basically in charge of, like, half the galaxy. Yeah. And... Do you think he learned that from Sidious? Oh, 100%. To put a puppet ruler on the... 100%. This is so something that Palps is already doing. Yeah, he did it, but um, it's just, it's interesting that he is taking from this guy who abused him so badly, and he's like, you know what, he had some good ideas. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what he's doing. And he, in Pre Vizsla, you know, gather up all these gangsters, they invade Mandalore, and they pin it on Satine's rule. And Death Watch comes in, they look like liberators. But Death Watch does realize, you know, hey, uh, Maul might not actually be on our side, but uh, doesn't quite go the way that they want it to go. No. And then Death Watch splits up between um, against Maul and for Maul. Yes. Yes. Uh, Maul kills Pre Vizsla. Uh, they have kind of this fight for honor for who's going to be in charge. And Bo-Katan refuses to kneel to Maul. She specifically says that she will not kneel to an outsider. Uh, and 
that's where you can kind of get into the semantics of does she mean blood or does she mean somebody who does not believe in the Mandalorian culture? Because Maul is very who much is totally corrupt. corrupted. Yes, he's totally corrupt. Yeah, is it is is the corruption what makes him an outsider? Yes, that's the question. Yes, because if she's part of Death Watch, then clearly like Death Watch believes in the whole foundling thing. Yeah, and see, this makes me wonder if. Everything that I read about Satine, it talks about how she aligned her government with new Mandalorian ideals. So I wonder if maybe Bo-Katan saw the corruption in that side of, like, the politics. Even if maybe Satine herself wasn't corrupt, she saw how that was going to be taken advantage of, and maybe that's why she left. Mm-hmm. Like, she believes so 100% in the ideals of Mandalore. Yeah, and, and you know what? That makes a lot of sense because um, Bo-Katan, as a person, is a lot more hesitant to trust in people, I think. Yes. Yeah, I would agree I with that. I think Satine kind of believes in the best of, in everyone. To a fault. Yeah, and I think... Pokatan is more of a, a realist in that way that like, you know, not everyone is a good person. <laughs> yes, 100%. We talked about a little earlier how you see Mandalorian culture, like this very grounded group of people, are always somehow connected to the Jedi and who are very mystical and all of that. So within the Clone Wars, we have the relationship between Obi-Wan and Duchess Satine. They have a history. Uh, they were together for quite a long time. He was guarding her, whatever. And it is revealed that <laughs> had she said the word, Obi-Wan would have left the Jedi Order. It's so good. Yes. And she dies and in like, his arms. Okay. <gasps> and just, like, compare that to Annie Dalla. Yes. The way that they got together, that... Anakin was her guard. Obi-Wan would have understood more than anybody. Then Obi-Wan was there when Padme died too. Not only does he bear the burden of like his love like dying in his arms, but he also bears the burden of his best friend, like his brother basically his love dying right beside him. I feel like we could very easily do a whole episode about Obi-Wan because like you said, and especially if you if you read Master and Apprentice, you see that Obi-Wan is like the poster child. He's the textbook definition of what you want a Jedi to be. And he follows the Jedi order even though like he himself recognizes that not everything is quite right and maybe they should do things differently and I don't think anybody pays for it as much as Obi-Wan does. Because he loses his master, he loses Satine, he loses his it's apprentice, so he loses Padme, but he, 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 Maul even dies in his arms. But, like, you could, like, you can honestly say, like, Obi-Wan symbolizes the order. Like, he really does that, like, he isn't necessarily the one that made all the bad decisions for the order, but he suffered because of those decisions. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, cause you even think about in 
what is, what is it? Is it Attack of the Clones? Like, Dooku tries to get Obi-Wan's, like, hey, you know, like, you're being manipulated. Like, you should come over to the side. Like, if he had, he wouldn't have lost anyone. But he be- he believed, like, so strongly in the Jedi. Like, is, Obi- is Obi-Wan Sienna? <laughs> Is he? Yeah. But, but, and then, so that would mean Satine is Thane. Yeah. Well, I, I think you could say that Thane is also Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> They're both so stubborn. And so loyal. And it's, it's insane because Obi-Wan is the one who is, like, ingrained in the Jedi ways in the long-form Jedi ways, where Satine is like, no, I want to make a difference. I'm stubborn in the way that I want to make Mandalore better. Mm-hmm. So they're, that's, like, completely opposite. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's a goody two-shoes, and he's like, no, I need to go by all these rules. I gotta be a good boy. And then Satine's like, no, like, I'm gonna be good by making a difference, by being different. But the fact that but, like he literally says... Had you said the word, I would have left. He would have given it all up for her. And she doesn't because she didn't want him to do that. He didn't want, she didn't want him to give it up for her. I think she knew him so well that he wouldn't be okay. Yeah. Like would have maybe presented her in the long run. Mm Mm-hmm. It's really tragic. It's so tragic. (laughs) So tragic. It's so good. Watching watching these episodes of Clone Wars, like, really, and in Rebels, because you get to see him come back, uh, really gives you such a different look at Obi-Wan, because I, I really feel like he is the person who is, he's doing the right thing, or, like, he, he really, truly thinks he is, and it always, like, if, like, even if he didn't make the mistake, he's the one who's going to pay for it. Every time. He has the whole, all the burden of all the Jedi on his shoulder. He does. And I'm sorry, but if Rey had to be related to anybody, would have made more sense if yeah. she was a Kenobi, but whatever. We're, we're still Rey nobodies, but I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, hey, Obi-Wan was a nobody, so. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the fallout of all of these episodes, so Satine dies. She is killed by Darth Maul. Uh, Darth Maul was, you know, leading Obi-Wan there. He's still very much uh, obsessed with him. You know, Maul, Obi-Wan, shippers do have rights. <laughs> um, but she's killed by Darth Maul. Uh, Darth Maul also kills Pre Vizsla, who was the leader of the Death Watch. So he puts another puppet leader in charge of all of that. Uh, Bo-Katan breaks off from Death Watch and becomes what is known as, I think they call them like Mandalorian rebels uh, or the Mandalorian resistance. Like they fight against Maul's rule. But also at the end of this, Papa Pelps shows up and like puts Maul in his place. And we don't know about the Siege of Mandalore. Like we haven't gotten these episodes. Mm-hmm. The, like those are the episodes where like Ahsoka and Rex come and they fight Maul and they try to take Mandalore back. Um, they make. Sati- or they make Bo-Katan the regent of Mandalore, but somehow, like, Palpatine is still using this, and I, I have a feeling like that's kind of how the Empire was able to, like, really get their hooks in, and I want to know more about that. Palpatine always has ten plans. He does. He has backup plans on back on, 
backup Except plans. for in The Rise of Skywalker. Okay, Palpatine is so smart, except in The Rise of Skywalker. He's really dumb in The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> but that's not his fault. No, I don't think so. That is writing. I don't think so. <laughs> um, but yeah, Siege of Mandalore. So we'll, we will get to see eventually how the, all of that happened. Like, what happened yeah. to Bo-Katan and everything. It is... You get flashbacks of it in the Ahsoka novel, uh, like the the Order sixty six stuff happens during the Siege mm-hmm. of Mandalore. Um, That's gonna be so hard to oh, watch. Oh, it's gonna be so hard to watch. <laughs> um, but following the siege, the Republic, um, which becomes the Galactic Empire, uh, occupies Mandalore, which is something that Satine and all of Mandalore had been trying very hard not to let happen. To avoid. Yes, but that begs the question. After the Battle of Jakku, what happened in Mandalore? I don't know. Are we going to find out? It's a good question. Because clearly, they they are occupied by the Empire, like, the whole time. Um, the Rebels do help them. We're going to see in these Rebels episodes that they do kind of rise up. Um, but we don't but no. then again, we know that Gideon gets the dark saber. Yes. So. So that's. And the dark saber is the symbol of the rulers of Mandalore. Like it, it, people unite under the symbol, mm-hmm. and Bo-Katan has it <laughs> until she doesn't. <laughs> but then that means that some other person, Moff Gideon, has this symbol of the ruler of Mandalore. After the Empire is technically gone. Yeah. So what does that mean? They need to tell us in season two. I know. I want to know all of these things. I wonder if maybe we're going to get hints in Clone Wars. They're playing the long game on Mandalore, Mm -hmm. for sure. And the Darksaber and all that stuff. Even if they didn't play the long game on Tross. I think they did, and it just... uh... Somebody messed that up. <laughs> um, but going into Rebels. So for our first episode, this is in Season 2, Episode 13. It's called The Protectors of Concord Dawn. In this, uh, we are faced with a group of Mandalorian warriors who are known as the Protectors. And mm-hmm. the Rebels are trying to get them onto their side so that they can move ships through their airspace. And it's interesting, Concord Dawn is a Mandalorian colony, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because that makes me think maybe after the Purge, there were colonies that popped up, but like you said, they have to be in hiding. Yeah, like there could be more tribes than yeah. just the one that we see. But like, is, like, would Concord Dawn have been safe after the Purge? That's a good question. I don't know. Because, mm-hmm. like, here's the thing with where we're at in Rebels. So, like, with Rebels, you know, it's it's all that slow build to the original trilogy. And with Concord Dawn, they're led by a man named Finn Rao. And the Protectors used to be, like, they trained the clone troopers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, they were kind of part of the Republic. But when we see them yeah. here... They are taking imperial bribes, and it's 
it's so interesting because like Finn Rao talks about how like he's loyal to the throne and like anybody who sides with the like the empire he calls like a traitor and yet yeah but he's playing both sides yeah though. he's playing like, both he's sides like, mm-hmm. and I wonder if like he's kind of like a DJ like you know he doesn't want any part of their war he's just surviving yeah I think that it's it's for survival mm-hmm. it's very fascinating we also get in, the, in these episodes um, a little bit more about the Mandalorian code um, in this case it's about how through single combat like if you defeat the leader of a group of Mandalorians then you become their new leader and this is what happens in the Clone Wars as well. But in this, you really get an interesting look at Sabine because she challenges Finn Rao. Mm-hmm. And these are supposed to be to the death. Like, if you challenge somebody, yeah. like, you're either living or you're dying. And Sabine doesn't kill him, but she does still beat him. Yeah. But isn't that, like, it's similar to how, like, a pride of lions works in real life? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> And it happens, like, in The Lion King, when at the end, when Simba defeats Scar. Yeah, it's there's a different way of doing things. And Sabine even says that. She's like, it may be the Mandalorian way, but it is not my way. Yeah. Like, she... Because, but she, she has carved a path for herself to be her own person, and, and she is allowing her to subscribe to certain aspects of her Mandalorian heritage and unsubscribe from other parts of it. She is the and future. That is, yes. <laughs> she, she is the person, like, she, if anybody was going to rally Mandalore, it was going to be her, because she acknowledges that this is a society, this is a culture that is built heavily on the past, but you can't just follow it blindly. So she, yeah. she, she, acknowledge, She's a good she acknowledges the past and walks towards the future. You acknowledge the dark and walk into the light. Sabine is such a good mixture of Satine and Bo-Katan. Yes. Yes, she is. She definitely is. They, it is even told to her by Finn Rao that you are sounding more like a Jedi than a Mandalorian when she says that. Which I think I would argue that's that Satine coming through. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> Dave Filoni. <laughs> There's a couple other episodes in this Rebels rewatch, uh, mostly talking about Darth Maul. Uh, you get Twilight of the Apprentice, which is amazing episodes. Um, you learn more about him and what he's doing it's all leading up to like him finally facing obi-wan again but you do get some interesting quotes like he talks about how like you know you're a mandalorian you of all people should trust me for did i once not rule your people um and we learn a little bit more about how the mandalorians are always fighting each other so darth maul and i recognize that there's some like comics and stuff but somehow he goes back to dathomir And he's got, like, this shrine. He's crazy. He's obsessed with Obi-Wan. But he has the Darksaber here. And Sabine reclaims the Darksaber. And like we talked about, this is a symbol that unites all of Mandalore. So she... She doesn't take it in, in, in like, single combat, though. No, she just... It was there. 
and she mm-hmm. she reclaims it. I think is the best way to say. But that's it. very. But that's very Sabine in a way that she reclaims her Mandalorian roots. Yes, <laughs> and like. And by the end of Rebels, you see her walk away from everything, and, like, I feel like she has come to terms with all of parts of herself. Yes. Well, and, like, this is such a, an, a, an important episode. The Trials of the Darksaber, it's the episode 15 in season three. Kanan is teaching her how to wield a lightsaber, and this is when it all kind of, like, bubbles up to the surface that, like, she has this, like, really traumatic past, and... How can she says, how can I lead my people? How can I go back and face them? So how can she wield this symbol of her people when she did something so horrible to them? When she feels like she doesn't represent who they are? It's like the night at the temple. Yes, it is. (laughs) Oh my god. It is. It is. And it's even called out, too, like, you know, how, why is she the one to wield the saber? Why is she the one to hold this symbol when she didn't claim it in the Mandalorian way? And, like, once again, like, she represents that moving into the future, like, that reclaiming of the past in a different light. Why try? I know. (laughs) This is, this is the point. This makes me so mad. Or, like, because, like, I finished my rewatch before Alex did, and, like, these episodes yeah. made me so angry. And then, like, when you started getting angry, and then, I'm like, oh, she's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, the anger really happens when you watch Trials of the Dark Saber. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's, oh, it makes me so mad. Because she, oh, man. Even, he, <laughs> hey, listen, I am, I am now, like, Rebels Fallen Order fandom. Yep. <laughs> And Mandalorian. That is my fandom now. And Mandalorian. Exactly. Yep. yep. Well, here's the thing. So, in this episode, Kanan is struggling with trying to teach Sabine. And Hera says something along the lines of, like, you know, she's hurting. Like, can't you see? Yeah. Like, she, like her family Hera, hurt her. Hera, like, completely understands her trauma. And I think that's very, like, feminine that she is able to see Sabine's inner turmoil and Kane is not able to see yes. it. And Hera lets her deal with it on her own terms. She never mm-hmm. tries to make Sabine talk about it. She never, you know, she doesn't tell Kanan what happened. Yeah. Like, that is for her to tell. Like, she just recognizes that this is somebody in pain and is, you know, there for whatever she needs. Mm-hmm. And Hera is such a good space she mom. She is the best she... space mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. So good. So moving into the legacy of Mandalore, we finally see Sabine confront her family again. And we find out that her family sides with the Empire because they're holding her, fa- her father hostage. Uh, we also learned that when Sabine spoke out against the Empire, her family did not stand with her. Um, and that I think this is the first episode where you really see, like, how the Empire is controlling Mandalore through fear. Like, there's even a a, a quote that says Mandalore was on its knees before the Emperor. And I didn't pull who said this quote, um, but there is a quote in this episode that says, perhaps Mandalore needs chaos so it can become strong again. 
And it's just, it's... I really hope that The Mandalorian as a TV show brings some resolution to all of this, some closure, Mm -hmm. and it gives us a a Mandalore that's either resolved or it's on its way to resolution. And it needs to be tied up like a bow and not like Tross in the way where we're like, okay, well, I don't think this says that there's going to be peace in the galaxy because it ended the same way again. Could, there needs to be like like the Mandalorians, like kind of having that realization that Sabine has. Yes, <laughs> yes. Could you imagine seeing a healed Mandalore? But I think that's that's where the show has to go. Yeah. It has to go there, or else I think. I mean, they they leave storytelling open for stuff, but I think that that, that needs to be the show's, like, message. Yes. We need to see this planet that has been, like, you know, completely devastated by war. And abused. And abused. Like, they have been taken advantage of. They've been abused. They fight within themselves. Like, this is a planet that is a desert, and the only... Like, they say they stay hidden under these domes. And, like, on the outside, like, these domes just look like these impenetrable, you know, like, fortresses. Like, it's so symbolic. Like, we need to see them come out. Yeah, and this this planet is so symbolic of so many characters we've seen in Star Wars. Yes. Who deserve redemption. Yes. (laughs) I, there's a discussion to be had for, you know sand planets and desert planets within Star Wars and how normally they look like that because something has been done to them. Like, even Jakku was green, like, yeah. a long, long time well, ago. Sabine, I, someone in, um, what episode was it? Was it, um, Zero Hour? No. I don't, I don't remember what episode it was I watched, but they did mention that it had been... There had been greenery. There yeah, had it's, been. Yeah, it's Sabine. I think I I pulled that quote. Hold on. Yeah, it's in it's in Heroes on of Mandalore, but we can talk about it mm-hmm. here. Um, Ezra is like noticing the way that Mandalore looks, and Sabine says, "Once upon a time, these plains were covered with grass, but I never saw it. This destruction happened before I was born. This is what continuous war has done to my home." Yep. (laughs) When you look at her, this is somebody who was born in a time of war. Like, she she wasn't alive for Satine's rule. Uh, She's lived completely within the Empire, and she knows, like, the fear. She knows what's been done to her people. And it's very moving to see her reclaim this past and try to make it better like she she's an artist she makes things beautiful and i think she she does that she grows she grows things she is like the goddess she is able to create you know what that's another tie-in with uh padme (laughs) (laughs) because they build a greenhouse so that future generations can have greenery when there or can have flowers when there are no flowers to be had Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so since we're talking about the Heroes of Mandalore, there is another um, two-parter episode. It's the very end of season three um, called Zero Hour. Basically, what you need to know from that is that Clan Visla enters Civil War and it's um, House Saxon. No, it's House Visla enters Civil War yeah. between Clan Saxon and Clan Wren. So the Saxons have allied with the Empire and they are basically the bad guys, and then Clan Wren um, goes and helps the rebels, and Sabine returns to help them free her father and to, you know, push back against the Empire. Mm-hmm. This is also where Bo-Katan comes back, because Clan Kreese comes to their aid, and she says, I had my chance to rule, and I failed. I am not my sister. I am not the leader you, sp- you seek. And I'm like, Ow. But that's so, like, we've talked about this before, other people have also, where it's so, like, feminine for women to just doubt themselves because they failed once that they are not capable anymore. Mm-hmm. I go through that all the time. I I think it's really fascinating that, you know, Mandalorian culture, it's, you know, war, they're warriors, it's very hard, it's very masculine, but in the Clone Wars and in Rebels, most of the leaders that we see are women. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we have um, Sabine, we have her mom, we have Satine, we have yeah. Bo-Kan. Like, yes, we have um, Finn Rao, but he is, like, redeemed, you know? Like, he wasn't originally mm-hmm. on their side. Whereas, like, we have Pre Vizsla and Gar Saxon, who are very much like it's my way or the highway, like we're doing things this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it's and they don't question themselves ever. Yeah, they don't say, "Oh, I failed, so I'm gonna give up." Now. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you see Bo-Katan deal with this, and you also see Sabine deal with this. But Sabine comes back, and that is what inspires Bo-Katan to try again. Hmm. And then you even seen the Mandalorian, the armorer is the leader too. Mm-hmm. I think that that is definitely a choice, and I think it's a really interesting choice that it's so deeply feminine. And I find it so funny because most people who like who are like obsessed with like Boba Fett and all of that, which I mean, he's a bounty hunter, not really part of this, but are mostly men, and so like when they were doing The Mandalorian, like, both of us were just like, oh, it's not going to be a show for yeah. us. And then it's so feminine. And then you realize, like, how, like, they're not, like, necessarily a matriarchal society, but it just seems like whenever it's working the best it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, because, like, even when Satine is in charge, like, all of that corruption is, it comes from men <laughs> every time. Um, just, try, like, trying to undermine her or like thinking that they can mm-hmm. do it better uh it's it's really that's a, it's a really interesting choice we also see finally what sabine has been running from and so and we, we kind of mentioned this earlier so sabine created a weapon under the empire she calls it the duchess um that neutralizes mandalorian armor um, there's an energy pulse that it puts out um, that's drawn to Beskar. So, like, stormtroopers are safe. It would only hit people in Mandalorian armor. And we talked about how important it is, this armor. Like, you can't just make it out of something else. And Thrawn says that 
this thing turns an armor legendary for its strength into a crippling weakness and strikes at the very heart of your people's tradition. And they have been ruling Mandalore through this fear. I, I feel like the way that the Empire gets their hooks in, it took a people who were legendary for their strength, who were legendary and like loyal, yeah. and turned that against them. But the same thing happened with the Jedi. Yeah. Their tradition was their weakness, and that's how they were defeated. Yeah. It's so devastating. It's so devastating. And, like, you can see how hard yeah. it was for Sabine to come back. For this. She talks about, she's like, you know, I was young. I was reckless. I didn't do it because I thought it was going to, you know, hurt people. I just did it because I could. And... In, in these episodes, they are trying to take this weapon down, and they do, and they destroy everything on it. But I have to wonder if they didn't. Like, because the Great Purge to me sounds like a lot of killing. And we see that Mandalorians are always hiding now, and only one comes out yeah. at a time. So do they still have this technology? Well, if they could build it once, couldn't they build it again? I mean, again? they rebuilt the Death Star. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they could easily. Mm -hmm. That is just because just because Galen was out of the picture it didn't stop them from building a second no. one. No. Exactly. Exactly. Here's where you really see like the deep seated like corruption cuz like with Gar Saxon they and with the stormtroopers, you know, the stormtroopers their armor is like modeled off after Mandalorian armor at least in the Clone Wars. Uh his Mandalorians all wear stormtrooper armor and it's like a really big point in these episodes that you can't just make your armor out of something else so mm -hmm. they have basically abandoned Mandalore but that's not the answer either no it's not the answer <laughs> it's about it's about taking with you what you need yes and leaving behind things that are your that have been your downfall Not about Tross again <laughs> which it's like it's so insane because Tross rant Star Wars has been hammering home the idea in different groups and like within the Jedi and within the Mandalorians that the only way to succeed is that you learn from the past and you, you, you take what you need and you move on okay you need to learn from yeah, the past you can't just ignore it and you can't live in and it. the rise of skywalker doesn't solve any of those no. things like the way that canon has been teaching us to yes that's why <laughs> and like i don't want to alienate people who like tross but i do want to say that like if you're struggling with why people don't feel satisfied with it, it like that's why there is no ending it, it's gonna happen again because we didn't learn it anything. doesn't feel more conclusive than the 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 um, Return of the yeah. Jedi. Like, that's that's the issue I'm having. Yeah. Everything that we have seen in canon, like, the mistakes keep happening over and over yeah. and over again. And so, in order for there to be an end, we must learn from these mistakes. And that's what Sabine does. Like, she steps up and she goes home and her owning up to this inspires Bo-Katan to become a leader again and it inspires all of Mandalore. They all unite under the Darksaber. They all unite around her and Bo-Katan. And 
start to push the empire back. Like she inspires all of that hope in them again. And mm-hmm. I, I don't, we don't see that in the rise of Skywalker. Like, like you said, like it, it's about like taking what you need with you and realizing that you also have it within you already. And you get that amazing line in the light in the last Jedi about, you know, Ray already has everything that she needs. And then it comes back in The Rise of Skywalker, except in The Rise of Skywalker, it means that she has lightsabers and she has an X-Wing and a Wayfinder. And, like, it's not about that stuff. It's about you, what you've learned. I'm sorry. I know. I know. Because, like, I, I, I would say that in this, you know, like, yes, she has the dark, like, they have the dark saber. And that is a really powerful symbol. But it's it's about what it symbolizes. It's, about what it symbolizes. it's, it's not, not about, about the its power. And I, I would even say if she didn't have it, it would still like they would still have rallied. It wasn't because yes. she had it. It was because <laughs> of what it meant. Okay, moving on a bit. Question: Do you think we're gonna see the Wrens in the Siege of Mandalore? I feel like we have to maybe like like ursa i don't know she i mean they are their house visla yeah and then like sabine would be what like two years old i don't know what because wasn't as so ezra, ezra is the same is age. the same age as yeah. luke which who was born on empire day yes sabine i thought she's two years older than ezra yes so then that would make her two, wouldn't she? Yeah. So, like, she wouldn't remember it, but yeah. No. But I would like to see her mom. I would love to see Ursa in this. I think we could definitely see that tie-in with Clone Wars coming back. And, you know, moving forward into, like, where the Mandalorian opens up. Like, the way that Rebels ends with this is... With Mandalore being united, Bo-Katan is the leader. She has the dark saber, but in Mandalorian, they're all in hiding, and they won't show their faces. And you know, the Empire has the dark saber, so clearly something happened. And there, you know, they do say like. This is only the beginning. The Empire will send everything they have to crush Mandalore. And they do. But are they going to rise up again? They have to. Yeah, they have to. I I really think what we're going to see with the Mandalorian, instead of, like, focusing so much on on this aspect, I think it's going to focus more on that mystical aspect. Because, like we've talked about, they've been at odds with the Jedi and the Force and the mysticism for so long. But every time they come together I feel like they get closer to the truth and the balance but then they take a step back always I know they get closer but then it's like they're still stepping back yeah I you see it succeed with Sabine she's very much shaped by her Mm -hmm. relationship with Kanan and Ezra but there's a lot of like big question marks in that um what was the error between Rebels and Mandalorian. Yeah. What, what, like, like the purge, like, what caused that to happen? What made it impossible for them to stand up for themselves or defeat the purge? Mm-hmm. Um, 
those are questions that we don't know the answer to. I would really love to go back to Mandalore in The Mandalorian. I don't know if that would happen because, like, he... It's a, they they really make it they like drive it home in the Mandalorian that like it's not a people it's a creed so I don't know if like the place mm-hmm. would be as significant but but like I was saying earlier like what does Mandalore even look exactly. like in that timeline yeah, like did who's there was the Empire defeated there and like if they were why are the Mandalorians still hiding it's a lot it's cool this is a really interesting part of Star Wars that is really like just right underneath the surface like it's not the skywalker saga but it's this amazingly intricate story that is mm-hmm. just right underneath that and it's nice because it doesn't feel like anyone has to be related to anyone nope. you don't you really don't and no one is asking oh who's dinjarin related no to? if anything <laughs> like i would love to know like we know that he is becomes like house Fizzla. Like, I would be interested to know, like, some of, like, the clan dynamics. But, like, as we've seen, like, it doesn't really matter who you're related to. Like, it kind of just matters, like, who you're loyal to. Yeah. Do you think he's going to wield the Darksaber? I don't know (laughs) if I want him to. (laughs) I don't know. Because here's the thing. I think that Dim, I think his place is with Omera. Mm -hmm. And her daughter and baby Yoda. And I think that that lifestyle, him leaving Mandalorian culture behind, is for him, like, kind of like Sabine, where he, like, accepts everything that he was and, like, he takes with him what he learned and what he wants to keep from being a Mandalorian, but then move on to what he truly wants. And I do think that's what he Mm -hmm. wants. I could be wrong. No, I think you're right. I I think he wants, Mm -hmm. he wants a family and he wants a quiet So I can't. So because of those similarities with Sabine, I'm having a hard time, like, picturing him, like, sure, maybe wielding the Darksaber, but, like, being that symbol I, to unify. I could see him taking the Darksaber from Moth, Moth Gideon, like, you know, winning it, mm-hmm. but then not wanting to wield it because that's not what he mm-hmm. wants and i could see it going to someone like the armorer or if bo-katan did come back is, is she gonna get like a, well, a, that's ch- the a thing. chance maybe maybe bo-katan isn't dead mm-hmm. and then in that case if she's still alive like yeah i want her to have it back yeah. you know it would have been so much cooler if ray was like bo-katan's daughter <laughs> 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 you know whatever <laughs> um but to wrap oh, up this discussion, um, yeah. do you have a little Bebo from any of this? I, my little Bebo is just Sabine, her art, and her really, like, taking that, like, Mandalorian culture and making it herself, really, like, cultivating it, being that goddess that mm-hmm. she is, like, just that. Mine is Obi-Teen. It's beautiful, and it's tragic, and it makes me really sad about Obi-Wan. And, you know, Ben Solo is named after him. There could have been so much there, Alex! Uh. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. So, um, next time we will be going into part two of our Makeup and Mandalore series. We are going to be covering the first half of the season for uh, The Mandalorian, which is episodes one through four.
So if you want to watch along with us, yeah. you can do that. Uh, we'd love to know any of your thoughts about any of this, um, what you're excited about, what you're looking forward to. Yeah. And I think we're going to kind of poke more into not just Mandalorian culture. We're going to poke into um, Quill and we're going to um, look into the grief and Omera and obviously Kara. <laughs> Um, so it's not only going to be, like, Mandalore focus. Well, and, and, like, a big part of, like, even what we were doing here is, like, looking at what does the world look like and mm -hmm. the time between the Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens yeah. is something that hasn't been mined a whole lot. So, I'm... Yeah. Break out your aftermath. Yeah. <laughs> Break out your last shot. Your bloodlines. <laughs> It's it's gonna get it's gonna get interesting. I'm I'm really excited, and it does. Sometimes I do get a little bit discouraged just because Tross wasn't what it we wasn't wanted. what we wanted. It discarded so much canon, but I I truly feel like one movie cannot discount all of this world building that they've done. Mm -hmm. And now I we could be boo boo the fool. Um, I could be a fool in saying that. Maybe they're gonna retcon everything to fit Tross, but. Uh, that just doesn't seem like the direction that they would go in. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, this has been our first episode of Makeup and Mandalore. Um, if you want to be part of Lipstick and Lightsabers, you can always send in your Star Wars story to our email, lipsticklightsabers1901 at gmail.com for our story episodes on Friday. If you would like to keep the conversation going, we are always on Twitter at lip underscore lightsabers or our personal Twitters at McCarter Shannon and at Alex Leonis. That is going to do it for this episode, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>